Hello and a very warm welcome to today's podcast. And first of all, a huge shout out for Shant Vironi. She was really sweet amongst um, older people. I think she should also make sure that she was writing in a voice note. And that voice note was really special. So thank you so much, Shant Vironi. I don't know whether that's your royal name, but I got the message, the, the beautiful voice note from that particular name. So thank you so much. Let's quickly dive into today's discussion. Uh, because we, and, and we'll of course, try and continue from where we left yesterday in yesterday's podcast. Uh, one thing that I would like to highlight is because we are talking about Renaissance, there's one question that people go very wrong with. First of all, you need to understand that the term Renaissance, as we know, is actually being coined in the 19th century. The term itself is being coined in the 19th century. So this entire term, which is labeled as a renaissance or famously called as a renaissance, uh, which is a revival, rebirth of learning, of classical learning in particular, you're able to see a gradual moving away from the medieval darker ages that we are having. This term was actually coined in the 19th century by a Swiss-born historian. And what is the name of the Swiss? born historian it is jacob burkart so jacob j-a-c-o-b b-u-r-c-k-h-a-r-d-t so jacob burkart is coining this term and he's publishing a work called civilization of the renaissance in italy civilization of the renaissance in italy in 1860 so jacob burkart who is this swiss born historian he's the person credited with coining the term renaissance which is a fairly recent term in 19th century today besides looking at uh, another aspect of sydney's writings and we'll also try and take a look at uh, you know what putinham george putinham is writing what is stephen gosson saying before that i'd like to tell you five important words five important words uh, that have been uh, highlighted by susan bruce of bloomsbury uh, so susan Bo uh, bruce as well as rebecca stenberger they uh, and, and you don't have to remember these two names you don't have to remember these two names but i'm just telling you that you know uh, these people have figured out a couple of important terms that are associated with renaissance so let's just discuss that okay the first term is very interesting and the term is allegory now why is allegory so important because through this word you'll also understand psychomachia and psychomachia is an important concept okay allegory is basically the story which has more than one meaning Allegory is very similar. You can compare it with a fable or we are able to see this is very important. Please keep that in mind. Renaissance allegory also had pictorial texts. And what was this called? This Renaissance allegory with pictorial texts. This Renaissance allegory with pictorial text is called as emblem books, emblem books. And we're able to see that a lot of these Renaissance allegories are having a religious tenor that is attached to them. This entire tradition can be seen. So when we talk about Equinus writing Summa, S-U-M-M-A, uh, this is coming in the 13th century, where you're able to see that, you know, there is an allegorical meaning coming in. There are four layers structure in the text. There's a literal structure. There's a symbolic structure. There's a moral structure. And then there is an anagogical structure that you have. So literal, symbolic moral and anagogical uh, meaning that is developing. So this is also something that you need to understand that Equinus is starting, A-Q-I, 
S-U-N-N-E-S. Equinus is starting with Suma. He's starting this tradition properly. Uh, do remember that there are classical uh, allegorical works also. And this is important. One classical work that we have is Prudentius. Prudentius. P-R-U-D-E-N-T-I-U-S. Prudentius. He's writing Psychomachia in the 4th century. Psychomachia. P-S-Y. C-H-O-M-A-C-H-I-A, psychomachia. What is psychomachia basically? Psychomachia is telling us about our mental struggle, right? The, the mental processes of decision making where you have the good and the bad angel. Should I study right now? Should I watch Netflix? Should I study right now or should I probably go out for shopping? So that is basically a kind of a mental agony or a mental decision-making process that you have to undergo. There's virtue and there's vice, okay? And it's up to you. You want to pick studies as a virtue or vice. That's completely up to you, okay? Now, this allegorical tradition of psychomachia descended into becoming morality plays. Uh, we discussed about every man as a morality play, how every man is visited with a messenger. The messenger is uh, uh, how every man shows the messenger at the beginning and the doctor at the end, and how every man is visited uh, by death, and death is already, God's already come after the messenger, God comes, and then, of course, there's death. Death says that you just have a day's time, or not even a day's time, you, you'll have to leave today. Um, and he says, okay, can I just accompany someone? And at that particular juncture, no one is ready to accompany every man, right? Fellowship, kindred, cousin, no one comes. Goods, they don't come with him. They say no, they give different reasons. It is only good deeds and there's a paucity of good deeds. There's a shortage of good deeds. So good deeds is guiding. Why don't you go towards knowledge, the sister of good deeds? And why don't you go towards confession, a noble character? And then confession as well as knowledge, they enlighten. And then, you know, we are able to see every man repenting. So that is also an allegorical work. And finally, he is leaving with what is called as discretion, strength and beauty as well as five wits they go along with him to the grave and then you know later the doctors reciting so who comes at the beginning of every man this question can come every man the morality play which whose author is anonymous which is modeled on a dutch play who's coming in the epilogue in the epilogue we are able to see that the messenger comes sorry who's coming at the prologue who's coming at the prologue who's uh, coming at the beginning at the beginning the messenger is coming and setting the context and towards the end who comes, towards the end the doctor comes. Both these are net examination questions that have come towards the end of uh, every man who tries to summarize everything. It is the doctor. Okay, remember that. All right. Uh, and do remember that there are a lot of famous Renaissance allegories also. Like, of course, the Fairy Queen, 1589, uh, 1596. Tasso, Tasso is also writing. He's writing Jerusalem Liberetta. Jerusalem Liberetta. G-E-R-U-S-A-L-E-M-M-E. Liberetta. L-I-B-E-R. ATA, this is coming in 1574. So you're able to see that, you know, there is this tradition of allegories, Guilliman de Loris writing Roma de la Rose, Dante's Divine Comedy, uh, both coming in 13th century, Langland Spires Plowman coming in 14th century. They're all examples of allegories, okay? There's another word uh, that is there, which is important, and that is bed trick bed trick this was very common so what is bed trick b-e-d bed trick t-r-i-c-k this is another term just like allegory was a term associated with renaissance 
what is betric betric is actually a secret clandestine sexual substitution of one person for another so uh, this was actually there in the book of genesis also so what happens is that uh, in the tale of jacob jacob is actually tricked into wedding lay after she substituted for her sister rachel so you must have seen it in the movies also sometimes the hero um, because there is like you know this veil that has been worn by the bride so or or perhaps like you know that there the face might be covered of the hero also then you can't really figure out who's sitting and then you might just get married to a, another person altogether okay so jacob in the book of genesis jacob is uh, getting married so he's tricked into getting married to lay after she substituted for rachel her younger sister and uh, we are able to see that you know there was this classical story of seduction of alchemene a l c m e n e by zeus so zeus actually uh, like you know he he uh, uh, he disguised himself in the form of her husband amphitryon a p a m p a m p h i t r y o n amphitryon Betrix is there. Remember, in Chaucer, we are able to see in the Miller's Tale you have a fabulio being narrated, right? Uh, and and how the Miller's Tale is also getting responded. It's getting replied by uh, the reviews also coming in. So you're able to see that uh, you you are in a position to look at how. there is this betric which is being played in fabulous also and do remember in measure for measure all's well that ends well both these shakespearean play we plays we are having the betric measure for measure also as well as all's well that ends well also has a betric which is there then another interesting term is actually blank verse remember i told you william shakespeare ws so wyatt is introducing sonnet into english and swiss bank sb swiss bank sb surrey is introducing blank verse into english so the unrhymed iambic pentameter unrhymed iambic pentameter is called as a blank verse who's introducing it henry howard the earl of surrey he's introducing the blank verse and where is he introducing it in the translation to aeneid in the translation to aeneid he is introducing it in drama where can we see the blank verse in english we can see it in gorboduck sackwell and norton remember sackwell and norton are writing gorboduck so gorboduck 1561 milton's paradise lost is also using uh, is also using blank verse so that's another term that you can remember because a blank verse was very common in during the renaissance Cavalier poets, you know, Cavalier poets completely abandoned sonnets. They completely abandoned sonnets. Okay, so they they son uh, abandoned sonnets. So the seventeenth century poets are actually classified into two categories. They're called metaphysicals, uh, who were following Donne. They're called Cavaliers, who were following Johnson. And uh, Cavalier poetry is actually including people like Johnson, Herrick, Lovelace, Suckling, Fane, Denham, Waller. Carew, I'll repeat them: Johnson, Herrick, Lovelace, Suckling, Fane, F A N E, Denham, D E N H A M, Waller, W A L L E R, Carew. Uh, so they're all there. And do remember that the Cavalier poets were supporters of monarchy. They were supporters of Charles the First during the Civil War, and all of them are courtiers except for Herrick. 
this question comes all the cavalier poets are supporters uh, they they're courtiers except for uh, except for herrick okay and uh, their style of writing is very light it's elegant secular witty but they are abandoning the sonnet form because un up until now sonnet form was being used as a vehicle for love poetry you know chapbooks are also becoming very popular chapbooks are also becoming very very popular so um these chapbooks were very inexpensive uh, books that were sold you had some popular chapbooks like uh, the bevies of hampton b e v i s the bevies of hampton was a chapbook that was there guy warwick guy warwick was a chapbook that you had Now let's very quickly continue with where we left yesterday. We were talking about Sir Philip Sidney, and Sir Philip Sidney is also writing apology for poetry or defence of poesy. So do remember that defence of poesy is being published by Ponsonby, and apology for poetry is getting published by Allini. Okay, this is one thing that you have to keep in mind, and this is actually a work which is trying to inaugurate the literary tradition, so to say, in English. Uh, it is divided into multiple parts you have the introduction where sir philip sidney justifies his praise of poetry he talks about you know that plato's work is very poetic highly poetic so there's this criticism of plato that plato was banishing the poets but he's using poetry but he's using poetry early philosophers and historians are also poets according to sidney sidney also talks about so he talks about the antiquity of poetry he talks about the universality of poetry that poetry is everywhere found it flourishes in all countries across ages and you know there's a beautiful line that he says that poetry is softening the heart of the turks and the tartars it has got the capacity to soften to soften the hearts of the turks and the tartars and also has the ability to sharpen the red indians wit it has the ability to sharpen the red indians wit He talks about that poetry is uh, having a very lasting experience. Poet is a prophet. So, what is the definition of poetry that Sidney gives us? That poetry is an imitation. Poetry is a speaking picture, and the end of the poetry is to teach and delight. Ultimately, what is the end of poetry? It wants to speak as well as it wants to preach as well as teach as well as delight. uh do remember that uh, sydney was actually giving this defense uh in the context of stephen gosson's school of abuse remember yesterday's podcast i told you that everyone was really dedicating their works to sir philip sydney because he was an important figure so uh we are able to see that stephen gosson's school of abuse 1579 is also dedicated to sir philip sydney and he talks about that poets are like jesters pipers and caterpillars of the commonwealth they they are what what are what is he calling what is stephen gosson calling poets he calls the poets as pipers jesters and caterpillars of the commonwealth he's very critical of them he says that plato also banished them from the commonwealth and he says that drama is just inciting debauchery it is just inciting debauchery and he says tragedy is showing cruelty murder bloodshed whereas you know comedy is showing degrading love vulgarity so he says that tragedy and comedy are both trying to weaken the moral fiber they're trying to weaken the moral fiber just like you know uh, say 20 years ago what used to happen was that people would disconnect their cable television why why would they disconnect their cable television during exams oh kids need to study now we need to make sure the tv is getting off 
Now, at least people have become intelligent and smarter and they know that the kids need to be exposed uh, to the social skills as well. Right. He says music is also undermining virtue. Music is also debilitating. So Gossin is actually having a lot of anger against poetry. And just like Sir Philip Sidney's apology for poetry, we are having George Putenham. George Putenham is writing The Art of English Poesy, The Art of English Poesy, which is coming in 1589. The Art of English Poesy is divided into three books. The first book is telling us about poets and poetry. The second book is telling us about proportion. And the third book is telling us about ornament. So first, poets and poetry, second, proportion, and third tells us about ornament. So he, in, in the first book, of course, he de defines poetry. He tells us about that it's educative. He also agrees that, yes, there is a morally corrupting aspect. <coughs> so sorry. He also gives us a division of fiction in the first part, epic, tragedy, comedy. And he also gives us uh, divisions of poetry, uh, poems, sorry. Uh, in 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 the first part that is something that we are able to see the second part is actually on proportion he talks about metrics he talks about pattern right that is something that he is discussing and in the third book of course he is providing english equivalence for the greek terms he is giving english equivalence for the greek terms that are coming in so that is about it. So uh, we'll, of course, pause over here, but I really want you to reflect on Renaissance, the entire tradition of Renaissance that is coming in. How are we able to see that poetry is establish, uh, establishing itself? Look at the five terms that we saw in the context of that. Look at how uh, Jacob Bucart is trying to tell us about civilization in Italy, and then he's trying to define Renaissance. Just think about it in those lines and how Renaissance humanism is coming. Sydney is, of course, a perfect uh, courtier and a perf one of the perfect renaissance men who's coming in so think about in those lines and of course we'll continue in the next session the next podcast from here and if in case there are any uh, queries any feedback please feel free to write to us and like i said thank you so much there was there was a voice note that had come uh, as a feedback and i hope that these podcasts help you to revise as much as they help you to immerse uh, or, or get into or become more curious about the subject that we are discussing Thank you so much. Take good care of yourselves and don't forget to rest. God bless each one of you. Bye.